Well, again, good morning to everyone here and those of you who are online. It's, it's so good to be together this morning. I'm really excited about the series that we are in, Living the Life. You know, it might seem like a strange series title, um, but I think that the season that we're in as a culture and as a people makes a series of, of really exploring and pressing into this idea, well, what is this abundant life that Jesus has called us to? Because when the world seems a bit chaotic, there's a truth that God's word endures. And it's a, there's a truth that the life that Jesus has for us is good and great, no matter our circumstances. This life abundant is available to us during a COVID-19 pandemic. So how do we get there? So as a church, we want to posture ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And so hopefully you have that same excitement that I do to, to come before uh, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So Jalene and I uh, recently got a new vehicle, and when I first sat in this vehicle, something that really stood out to me was that the windshield uh, didn't have any chips, any cracks. It was just this pristine, beautifully clean windshield. Now, the reason this stood out to me is because our old vehicle's windshield uh, desperately needed to be replaced. It was beyond repair. And I was putting it off over and over. I was like, ah, we'll, we'll get it, you know, next season. Or we'll, we'll get through the, the, the spring cleanups and then we'll get a new windshield. And I just kept putting it off. And then I got in a car accident and my car was totaled. And I was like, well, I don't have to worry about my windshield. So I get in this new car and beautiful windshield. Jolene and I are driving. I think we're on the highway too, of course, of all places. And we're driving along and we hear this crack. It's like, oh no. Sure enough. This little chip in my brand new windshield. And I'm devastated. But much like my old car, I just think to myself, eh, it's just a little chip, right? It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. I should probably get it filled, but not a big deal. Well, it's probably no more than a week later, driving along, I hear another crack. And it wasn't a new chip. It was that the chip that had already happened spread. And these cracks came flying out of this little chip. Suddenly, something that I thought wasn't a big deal had become a big deal. And I put in for a quote online to, to get my windshield repaired. And the chip would have cost me 35 bucks. But now with these cracks in the windshield, I think they're saying it's like 135 bucks. I'm like, ah, oh. this thing that I thought wasn't a big deal suddenly became a big deal. You know, I think this illustrates well how you and I can be when it comes to us living our lives before God. Jesus has called us to this life abundant. He's laid it out in his word, what that life is supposed to look like. But it's so easy for us to let these little things happen in our lives and, and for us to engage in behaviors or practices that, that don't really line up with God's word. But we're like, well, it's, it's not a big deal. It's just one of those little sins. It's just a little bit of disobedience. It's not a big deal. And the clarity that we should have looking into this life abundant that God has given us is suddenly distorted with all these little rock chips. Areas of our lives, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And I think we find ourselves in a situation wondering, why am I not experiencing the life abundant that God's called me to? Why don't I experience it? Our windshields are full of chips. A chip could be unforgiveness. 
A chip could be a routine of just gossiping about people in different conversations. That the chip could be thinking about our devotional life, spending, spending time with God and His Word and be like, ah, it's, it's not a big deal. I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll pray tomorrow. I'll spend time with Jesus tomorrow. The chips come out in our character. These little decisions we maybe make when nobody's looking and we think to ourselves, ah, it's not that big a deal. These chips ultimately exist in our hearts. There are desires that reach, that, that reach to have something that we have committed not to have. These chips are desires in our hearts that are reaching towards something that we have committed not to have. And they keep us from that life abundant that Jesus has for us. Well, our passage this morning, Jesus is addressing a crowd of people that probably had a few chips in their windshield. They thought that these chips were not a big deal. But in the eyes of God, these chips were a very big deal. Now, I want to just, before we get really into this, I want to make two quick notes uh, the first is that we are well aware of our audience. In this pandemic season, we have our elementary uh, students also look, listening in online, and they might not be listening. Maybe they're drawing or something. Um, but I'm going to try to be sensitive with some of the words that I use this morning. Um, and, and it might not seem like I'm really pushing on some of these issues as much as I should, but I encourage you to read in a bit into what I'm saying. Uh, and the second thing is that this teaching block is followed by Jesus' teaching on divorce. And Pastor Nor will be covering that section next week, and he'll be putting us a greater emphasis on the relational dynamics that Jesus is talking about here. Um, and, and so just those two notes, if you wonder what I'm doing, or if, I'm, if you feel like I'm not saying something that I should be, uh, that is perhaps why, and we, we will get to these things. But in our text this morning, Jesus is dealing with the issue of faithfulness in our relationships. And he's teaching us that crossing the line into unfaithfulness happens first in our hearts. Crossing a line into unfaithfulness happens first in our hearts. He's identifying that what we may think is not a big deal is in fact a really big deal. And that these chips that are on our windshield, they're going to crack. And Jesus in this teaching invites you and invites me to do whatever it takes to deal with these issues that are in our hearts that keep us from being faithful in our relationships with others, and in our relationships with God. So let's pick up in our text this morning. Isaac's read it for us, but I will reread portions of it um, as well as we go here. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus says to his disciples, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. You've heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. Jesus here is quoting for us the sixth of the ten, the sixth of the tenth command of the ten commandments. Uh, you can read it in Exodus chapter twenty, verse fourteen. Basically, Jesus here is quoting it verbatim, word for word, and um, here he's addressing the issue of adultery or relational unfaithfulness. Um, the Old Testament talks about adultery quite a bit. If you flip over in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter twenty, uh, verse ten. Uh, this is this is the kind of unpacking of the Ten Commandments. Uh, God commands his people that if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress should surely be put to death. Okay, those are strong words. That is a strong 
punishment that comes to the person who's committed adultery. And as we unpack the idea of adultery or relational unfaithfulness, we see in Scripture that it's not only an offense to the spouse involved in the relationship, but ultimately it spells out its offense in the context of the family, in the context of the community, and ultimately it spells out its offense to God himself. God has invited his people to be in relationships that that thrive, that flourish. And God is saying to them, adultery or lusting after your neighbor's wife, this is not conducive to thriving relationships. And when you cross that line, you're offending the community and you're offending God. And what I find interesting about the issue of adultery is you don't have to convince people that it's wrong. It's not to say that it doesn't happen, but even our culture would speak out and say that adultery is wrong. That people should not violate their commitments to their spouse. And so when we listen to Jesus' teaching, us in this room, as well as perhaps those in our culture, would say, well, yeah, Jesus, of course. That makes sense. You don't have to argue for me that adultery is wrong. I know it's wrong. And I I try not to do it. And this was probably the reaction of the crowd. But Jesus goes on in our text in verse 28. And he says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So as Jesus did on the issue of anger and murder... You know, he's saying, you've, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But if you have anger in your heart, it's like you've committed that offense. So too, he is saying that with adultery, you've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, that if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already made the offense. Jesus says that the offense takes place before the action itself, in the thoughts and the desires of a person. Now, we all have desires. We're human beings. Desire is a part of our DNA and our makeup. And I don't believe that it's the desire itself that Jesus is calling sin. Rather, what Jesus is saying, that the offense, the crossing of that line into adultery of the heart, takes place when we bend our will to our desire and entertain the thoughts of having or experiencing that which isn't ours Or to have that experience. And so, it's one thing to feel a desire. But the, in the Greek here, we see that the words, this word looking has a continuous action, um, verb tense on it. And so it's this continual thing. You're continually thinking or continually looking upon this thing. And in doing that, you cross a line. The word lust, you could say, could also be longing. And it's interesting, too, the, the Bible uses the word lust not always in a negative context. This word that we have here in Matthew 5 is used in other places, and, and it's basically saying desire or, or long for something. And there's several uses of this Greek word where it's actually in a positive connotation. But this continual action of, of lust or longing for something that you should not have is what Jesus is getting after. The issue here is that someone has allowed the desire in their heart that is not a good desire to take root. They've entertained the longing that they have for someone other than their spouse. And the line drawn by the sixth commandment has been crossed. 
What's interesting about this verse is that Jesus isn't saying anything new or even adding anything to the law. As if we keep reading in the Ten Commandments, uh, we, we understand that the tenth of the commandments in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, reads like this, that you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So we have Jesus here in his teaching on adultery echoing for us not only the sixth commandment, but also the tenth. You shall not covet. So that the core of this teaching is this idea that Jesus is saying that the law forbids directing one's desires towards that which they do not have a right to. And the issue with directing our desires towards something we don't have a right to is that it completely destroys relationships. When you think about the 10th commandment, this idea of coveting, it puts a person in a situation with their neighbor where they're constantly desiring what they have. That relationship can't flourish and thrive as that person is continually coveting their neighbor. And here in the context of marriage, we, we see and understand how destructive coveting can be. Now, if you're not married or in a relationship, it's easy to check out when we talk about these types of issues. It's easy to say, oh, the adultery passage from Matthew. I, I'm not married, so I don't, I don't need to listen to that. But for my purposes this morning, I want to draw our attention to the way that adultery is used in Scripture as a metaphor. Because when the Bible talks about adultery, it's not exclusively talking about the relationship between a man and a woman. We read in the Old Testament that Israel was in a covenant-based relationship with God. Promises has been made from both sides. That's this idea of covenant. So Israel came before God, and God came before Israel, and God committed himself to Israel, and in return, Israel committed themselves to God. In that, we kind of have a picture of marriage, don't we? So Israel and God were in this relationship. But what happens as we read the Old Testament is that the relationship that was supposed to happen here ends up falling apart and breaking completely on the side of Israel. Israel does not keep their their covenant faithfulness to God at all. God remains faithful, but Israel is unfaithful. And so as we read the Old Testament, especially into the prophets, we see that the breaking of this commitment is highlighted in Jeremiah, it's referenced in Ezekiel, and most heavily in the book of Hosea. And in each of these books, we hear references to Israel being called an adulterer. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, in both chapters 12 and 16, Jesus calls the Pharisees an evil and adulterous generation. And here he's not referring to them of how they act. He's not referring to how they act in their marriages. Rather, Jesus is using the metaphor of adultery to say that the Pharisees had been unfaithful to their commitment to God. So friends, the lust in our hearts, it's a longing to experience or practice anything that would violate our commitment to God or to others. Now I know the immediate context of this verse is talking about marital relationships, but I want to encourage you to see its wider implications. That the lust in our hearts it, it, it causes us to desire things that we don't have a right to. Well, when I consider the reality of my own unfaithfulness, 
When I think about the ways that I've been unfaithful to God, or when I think about the ways I've even been unfaithful to my wife in the context of Jesus' teaching here in Matthew chapter 5, I can't help but feel incredibly convicted. Because I know that my heart is full of longings for that which I have not committed. That my heart is full of longings for that which I know I've committed myself to not have. I know that I'm guilty. When I hear Jesus' words, I know that I would be called or considered an adulterer in the context of what Jesus is teaching. So what's Jesus getting at here? I think what he's getting at is that we are too often content with the misplaced longings of our hearts. Too often we believe that the misplaced longings of our hearts, the desires that are in us that we know aren't good, we might look at them and just say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. It's like a chip in a windshield that we don't want to bother to go get checked out. But what Jesus is saying to us in this passage is, no, this is actually a really big deal. This is something you need to deal with. So what do we do with this? Well, last week, Pastor Norb introduced a concept um, that we're getting from, um, from a theologian named, uh, named Stassen. And, and his, his whole invitation is for us to not simply look at the Sermon of the Mount and hear you know, the Old Testament says this, Jesus says this, um, and, and, and think that Jesus is setting up some sort of impossible ideal. And I know that when I read this, I, I feel like, well, this is impossible. The desires of my heart? How, how am I supposed to change the desires of my heart? Jesus is asking me to do something I can't do. And so the temptation is for us to say, well, there's lots of grace, and we just keep walking in grace. It's all good. That's not what Jesus is getting at. Stassen invites us to see that with each of Jesus' teachings, he also gives us, not only does he say, this is what's been said, this is what I say to you, but he also gives us an application, or what Stassen calls an act of deliverance, that you and I can engage in, so that we can walk the way that Jesus has called us to walk, so that we can walk in the abundant life that he has called us to. So Jesus is going, goes on in this passage to invite us to consider a principle that will help us flee from temptation. We pick up in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Welcome to church. <laughs> let's, let's cut off our limbs. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Now, since I know you all really pay attention when we preach, you are probably saying, hey, this is really familiar. And it is really familiar because we covered this same teaching in the Gospel of Mark. But since you're also paying attention, you know that the context in Matthew is different than the context of Mark. Uh, in Mark, Jesus is addressing the whole issue of causing little ones to sin or stumble. And he's addressing this whole issue of, of sin in our own lives and saying we need to take it very seriously. Here in Matthew 5, Jesus is using the same teaching but in the context of adultery and the context of misplaced desires. 
If you want to go back and listen to that sermon, um, it's from all the way back in February of 2020. Can you guys remember February of 2020? Like 16 years ago, right? Like long time ago. Um, and in February, February 2nd of 2020 is when we covered this text. And by complete chance, or maybe divine providence, let's call it, I actually taught on that passage uh, back in February. And so my study for this, this text was, um, this portion of this text was almost done when I started. Um, and the summary statement that I used back in February, I want to use for us again. What is Jesus doing here? Well, first of all, it's hyperbole. Jesus is not telling us to go home and cut off our arms or our limbs. But what Jesus is saying is that we need to do whatever it takes to keep yourself from sin. Because how you live your life matters. Do whatever it takes to keep yourself from sin. Because how you live your life matters. Do whatever it takes to keep your, the longings of your heart turning into lust of the heart. Do whatever it takes to keep yourself from coveting your neighbor. Do whatever it takes to keep yourself from living in anger and bitterness. Why? Because how you live your life matters. Take drastic measures. And why is that? Well, in the teaching, Jesus is contrasting the abundant life that he has for us to hell. Why would I take drastic measures, Jesus? It's like, well, you don't want to live in hell, do you? You don't want your life to be hell. The word that's translated hell here is, in the Greek, it's Gehenna, which is a literal place in Israel. And Gehenna was like a big garbage dump. And how they treated the garbage back then is they would light it on fire. And so you, Gehenna is this picture of this smoldering heap of garbage. And it's like Jesus is saying, do you want the abundant life that I have? Well, you need to do whatever it takes to live and walk the way that I have called you to. What's the alternative? A burning garbage heap. A burning garbage heap. So we need to choose to make a sacrifice or suffer a consequence. And what's fascinating to me about this text is that Jesus is saying it's about submitting your will. It's about submitting your will. You have a choice. If you feel caught up in sin, if you feel like you're overwhelmed by these desires, Jesus is giving you something active that you can do. Something that you can engage in to war against the sin in your life. It's about submitting your will. You have a choice. So the question that arises from Jesus' teaching here is, well, what is causing you to stumble? Again, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. So So he's saying, if your hand is what's causing you to stumble, cut your hand off. If your eye is causing you to stumble, gouge your eye out. So the question is, what is causing me to be unfaithful? What is causing me to engage in life a way that is contrary to the way that God has for me? The hand is not causing me to stumble. My eye is not causing me to stumble. In the context of this passage, browsing, um, browsing things on the internet that you shouldn't be is not what's causing you to stumble. Uh, keeping a certain... Uh, crowd of friends is not what's causing you uh, to stumble necessarily. The other person is not what's causing you to stumble in the sense that they did not make you do it. Well, James in um, 
chapter 1 of James, 14 to 15, he speaks a bit to this, where he says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has fully grown, brings forth death. And here on the screen, I have, have it in the King James Version, and you'll see that how they've translated the word desire as, what? Lust. Uh, it's that same word we have, same word in the Greek that we have there in Matthew chapter 5. And what James is getting at here again is that each person, the tempting and the enticement comes by their desire. So what's causing you to sin? It's your own desires. It's your own desires. Philosopher and theologian James K.A. Smith, he suggests to us that the most important discipleship question is what do you want? What do you want? And James K.A. Smith is pushing against this idea that you and I are primarily thinking beings. And he argues that we're not thinking beings, we are loving beings. That we live our lives from a posture of our gut or like our feeling, our emotions. We don't live it from our heads. And so much of our discipleship is often geared towards the teaching or the academic approach where James Smith is saying, well, as disciples of Jesus, we need to unearth this question of, well, what do you want? And this is the question that Jesus asked Andrew, the disciple who was following him on the road before he was called. So Andrew's following Jesus. Jesus turns around and says, what do you want? And James Smith says that this question comes. It's 11 o'clock. What do you want? What are the desires of your heart? What are the things that you are longing for? This is an incredibly important question for us as disciples of Jesus. And I think I'm going to give us three, kind of three ideas here, because it's a sermon and we do things in threes, I guess. But um, three ideas for us about how to kind of interact with this concept of desire. So how do we help shape and direct the longings of our hearts. If that's the issue. If the issue is that my desires are on the wrong thing. How do I redirect them? Well first of all you need to recognize that you are already shaping the desires of your heart. You are already shaping the desires of your heart. The loves that you have within you. The desires that you have within you. Good or bad. Are being shaped by the things that you do. Throughout your day, your habits form and shape, form and shape your desires. Uh, James K. A. Smith again has written a, a great book on this called "You Are What You Love." And he explores this concept in depth. Um, but his whole thing is, how do you get at changing desire? And he would say, you form new habits. <laughs> but he invites us to consider and recognize how the habits we already have are shaping our desires. Is it the company we keep? The entertainment that we watch? The television shows we watch? Is it the video games that we play? The books that we read? Is it the way that we spend time on our phones and our computers? All of these habits that we engage in form and shape and direct the longings of our hearts. In some cases, this shaping is extremely, is extremely subtle, but in other cases, it's not at all. And I really believe that these practices, these habits that we have, some of them are the eye and the arm that Jesus is referring to. Jesus is saying, get at what the, what's the desire in your heart? 
What's shaping it? What is causing you to long for that which you've committed yourself not to have? And once you unearth that, find that practice and get rid of it. Get rid of it. And friends, when we are not mindful, when we aren't aware of the way that our habits and our practices shape shape our desire, it leads to chips in our windshield. And left uncared for or dealt with, it results in cracks that impair our vision and lead us to places that we never dreamed we would go. The man who commits adultery probably didn't wake up one day and say, this is what I'm going to do. It's over time, it's a process. We don't wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to sin. Today I'm going to shame and disgrace God. Today I'm going to do my own thing and reject God. We don't wake up in the morning and say that. But what we do do is wake up in the morning and go about our day and engage in practices that shape and form the longings of our hearts in such a way that over time we find ourselves doing and saying things We never thought we would do or say. And this goes both ways. We can cultivate our desires for the good, or we can cultivate them for the bad. So again, the second thing, which I already alluded to in the first, is that we need to cut off practices that lead to misplaced desires. I believe that, I believe what Jesus is inviting us to is to flee these practices that take over our desires. Some of you need to hear this. If you are engaged in activity that you know you shouldn't be, stop. If you're engaged in sin, stop. Get help. If you are someone who is struggling, um, spending hours and, and time online, visiting websites you know you should not visit, stop. Get help. You're not alone in this journey. Since the pandemic started, um, they've reported that um, use of explicit websites online, uh, the use has gone up um, just exponentially since March. That people are fleeing to these online websites as a place to escape, watching sexually explicit material that they know they should not watch. And it's just gone up and up with this pandemic because when we're in a place where our world is falling apart, we want to go somewhere for comfort. And when our desires are oriented to get comfort from the wrong places, that is where we go. So get help. You don't have to go through these struggles alone. And the third thing is that we need to welcome Jesus to redirect your desires. Welcome Jesus to redirect your desires. You know, Jesus wants to come alongside us like a deco repairman and fill those cracks in our windshield. You ever been to Deco? You pull up, they come to your car, and they patch all the cracks. And when they're finished, it's like there was never a crack. I've never understood how that works. I looked at ordering my own crack repair kit, and it's not going to happen. But Jesus wants to come and reorient our desires. He wants to come and take those things that we think aren't a big deal and help us get rid of them. He wants to reorient our desires towards him. Uh, the, there's a prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah that's repeated in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. I think I have it on the screen. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. 
You know, what I love about Jesus is he's not going to look at our broken windshield and like say, oh, get rid of it. It's too cracked. It's too damaged. It's too broken. No. We might think that we are too far gone in our sin. Like a bruised reed, a, a flower that's, that's limp and broken. We're like, I should throw this out. Jesus comes and says, no, I'm not going to break it. A smoldering wick when, when, uh, when, when candles were being fed by oil, um, when that oil would go out, the wick would start to smolder and it was just this gross stench that would fill the room. And so you'd say, get that out of here. It stinks like your sin. But Jesus comes along and he says, no, no, don't throw it out. And he mends that reed. He takes care of that candle. He repairs the cracks and the chips on our windshields. We just got to let him. He wants to turn our desires towards him. Um, I've been so blessed to be doing this reading plan with the church. Um, If you haven't picked one up, I encourage you to do so and engage with us. And and if you were reading with us this morning, and this isn't in my notes, so I am going to have to find it. Uh, We were reading in Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is one of my favorite, favorite psalms. And I love this. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are the ones whose windshields are are, are clear. Blessed are those who keep the testimonies, who seek them with their whole hearts, who do no wrong but walk in his ways. And we have this verse in Psalm 119, verse 9, that's familiar to us. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And as you go on and read in Psalm 119, it's the heart of someone whose greatest delight, greatest desire is God himself. It's God himself. And that needs to be our desire. Well, back in Matthew, something I love about Jesus' teaching for us is he uses this phrase, it is better for you. It's better for you. And that's his invitations, friends. His invitation to us. That it is better for us to do away with these things in our hearts that, that keep us from God. Jesus is inviting us to experience his abundant life with him. And experience that which is so much better. So friends, where are the cracks in your windshield? I know that I have a few. Uh, We're trying to provide questions uh, for you to digest the sermon. Um, And so Norb sent those out with his email this morning. Uh, But just, I want to read them for you. And just, this is a classic first question. But uh, what stood out to you from Pastor Adam's sermon and why? The second question, do you notice any chips in your windshield? Behaviors or thoughts that you think are not that bad? What do you think Jesus thinks of them? Third question, what behaviors are you engaging in that may be negatively affecting your desires? And the fourth question, what practices or habits could you engage in to help shape your desire for good rather than bad? So I encourage you to maybe journal, journal through these questions or, or go through them as a family. But friends, Jesus has invited us to something that is so much better And the lust in our hearts, that is a type of sin that we just get stuck in. But Jesus wants to come alongside us.
and mend that brokenness, to redirect those desires, that he would be glorified and that you and I would experience the abundant life he has for us. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much just for who you are, for the truth of your word. And Lord, I just pray that uh, the words spoken this morning, God, would, would be your words. Lord, that as we digest these thoughts and ideas, that your spirit would lead us and guide us. Help us to know your grace and your love and your mercy that calls us to so much more. And Jesus, thank you that you have overcome sin. And that you invite us to do the same as we journey with you in life. So God, we just call out for your help and your strength. That our desires would be turned towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.